0: The following episode contains scenes of graphic violence, strong language, and suicide. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive in to some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. We're going to be doing an episode today that is unlike anything we've talked about so far. Uh, You know I've just started getting into wrestling um since something i'm 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 dipping my toes into i'm not a mm, more or anything but i've been to a lot of um live tapings in like the past year um that covid of course would like allow i've even got my my first wwe oh, on today with mr that White is official and my, hands on my boobs yeah <laughs> so yeah but before we start talking about that what kind of wine do you have
1: today and then we'll segue in mine Okay, so today I have prepared for you. No. Um today I have (laughs) Michael David and it's called Inkblot for Uh, Michael David Wineries. Um, and it's a petite for dough, which I don't I think that's a grape varietal. Okay. Anyhow, um it has a Rorschach test, inkbloty, like the inkblot test. Yeah. Um on the label. And I've read some of the tasting notes mm. and I like, I don't know if this is why it has this on here. It's just like my interpret, maybe it's my interpretation of this. Um, there's so many tasting notes. I think you kind of interpret what you taste. Well, I guess that's yeah. all wine, um, yeah. but this wine, okay, I'm going to tell you and then I'll tell you what I taste. Um, it says inkblot Cabernet Franc. Oh, okay. So it's Petit Verdot's the grape. Sorry, Wine. Wine friends. Um, It's a cap. It's a cap franc. It oozes aromas of boysenberry, butterscotch, pie crust, dried herbs, and then full bodied on the palate. There's lush red berries, caramel, baking spice, roasted espresso to a fruit forward finish that lingers until the next sip. Okay. So I don't know what I'm drinking. It sounds like a whole Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, there's pie. Okay. Um, Um, I think, yeah, we'll see what I taste. nice Rorschach
0: Rorschach test I'm excited to hear what you taste on it I'm jealous you're drinking that wine without me
1: Mm -hmm. I know we picked this wine together so sorry yeah it's fine (laughs) what do you have there
0: I have Chris Jericho wow it's so awkward because it's like backwards yeah um so I have Chris Jericho's wine I did not know a wrestler had a wine and I wanted to incorporate that into this episode as soon as I found out it's a sparkling I believe white And it says it's a sparkling wine for all demos. I'm probably not going to like it because I don't usually like Sparkling or white wines, but I had to have it for this episode. Um, especially yes. Chris Jericho was friends with who we're going to be talking about today, and we'll be bringing up Chris Jericho's podcast Talk Is Jericho a couple times in this. So, okay. definitely wanted to. Um, he's actually kind of like a big feature in the story, oddly enough. Um, and yeah, it came with like a little pamphlet.
1: Is that his autograph?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it. It's not his official. He didn't no. really sign it, but it says a little bit of bubbly, and on the back it says. Due to popular demand, the best tasting sparkling wine by the best looking sommelier <laughs> in the free world is back, baby! Delivered in a brand new bottle with a brand new label, yet still featuring the same great crack- crackling taste that could only be endorsed
1: and enhanced by lay champion. <laughs> by lay champion, I like it. Um, you had to order it online. How much is this? Yes.
0: Um, so with shipping, it came to about thirty-two dollars. So okay. it's still affordable that um, is
1: affordable
0: yeah but yeah i had to order it online got shipped to my house i didn't even know if it would be here for this episode i was kind of nervous about that but actually it got here pretty early for enough for it so we're doing good i am scared um we filmed our uh valentine's Day episode <laughs> yesterday and max had a spill and i'm scared of, of opening this one <laughs> to be well, honest at least
1: it's not red so at least this is not red this is white this is true this is true Let's let me crack into this bed so boy, pop probably. the
0: cork Probably should have taken the like thing off in the beginning. This is the problem with having claws, claws, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All right, well, I'm gonna pour my glass. Pour your glass and tell me what you taste. I'm so jealous, but this will be good too. That, yeah, I would. Well, I would drink that. I- oh, that was relatively tame. Okay, okay. All right, (laughs) I'm still nervous. (laughs) You're like you're like waiting for it to like volcano. Yes, look, I've got my
0: little trick or treat wine glass today. Oh, I I like that. This is from Spirit Halloween. This year's collection. (laughs) It is glass, actually. I thought it was plastic when I went to pick it up at the store. It's not. It's very
1: fancy. Oh, it's a fancy one. Oh, it's a fancy. Are we ready to cheers? We're ready to cheers. Cheers! Cheers! (laughs) Three sip rule. I didn't yeah. do a. Sw- I, I didn't use my aerator. Oh my god. I know. I amateur. So. Did you swirl it at least? No, nope, forgot that too. Oh but god. just cut straight to the chase. <laughs> <laughs> it, this does have legs. You know you, you know you can't see it, but mm-hmm. um I don't taste pie. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was expecting pie. No. Um a berry like the huge. Mm. Hmm. Espresso y it is dark. I mean, that makes sense, so Yum, fruit forward. Yum, this is yes, actually delicious. By the way, we will get, we will have. I will save some, pre- <laughs> not of this. I'll just buy another no, it's one. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs>
0: get it. I'll just, I'll go off your recommendation. and Get it one day. Um, yes. this is actually really good. Um, it tastes like a white. So for sure, it tastes like a white. Um, but it's not dry at all. Oh, okay. It's very yeah, but it definitely has that like almost like a Pinot Grigio kind of like mm-hmm. taste to it. You know, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I like it. I would, I would get it. Actually, like this is probably one of the better like champagne esque bottles I've ever gotten. I would get it for like a function, like if I was oh, okay. the next New
1: Year's or something. Like it's that. Oh, good. for like your wrestling functions.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, I am hosting Royal Rumble <laughs> this year soon. I think it's the end of this month. Um, we're just going to order a case. Yeah, we're filming this in January, so it'll actually be like it'll already happen when this comes out. But um, yeah, it's it's fine. <laughs> I
1: love it. Yeah. Well, two good glasses. Excellent. Nice choice
0: good choices we're smart you know So fancy so fancy so i hope i don't like burp a lot this time i felt like last time i was like i had to keep taking breaks
1: like (laughs) the fizzies i know i'm sorry i keep (laughs) drinking right in your ear no you're fine um we're talking into my glass that happens a lot too (laughs) like "Mm -hmm," as
0: i'm like face deep in the glass (laughs) (laughs) so when the common outsider thinks of wrestling the first thing they usually think of is Hulkamania? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hulkamania. <laughs> you have okay. a lot of stores here in Florida. Oh like, really? Go and buy like a lot of Hulk Hogan shit here in Florida. On high <laughs> drive in Orlando, which is the tourist
1: trap of Orlando. Yes. So oh, you go down yes. there's like this like orange store. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, sorry. That is not okay. So fake, yes, that comes to mind. <laughs> no, but not your first. No, Hulkamania no, no, no. first, and then gotta fake, rewrite yes. the whole script. Okay, here. Um, I had no idea how physically demanding
0: though, and very real the sport of wrestling actually is. Until I went to a live taping.
1: Oh, because the okay, I think of it as like choreography because mm-hmm. I'm like, that's insane. But they don't like rehearse together. I don't they know. Maybe do. They do. They do. They do. Yeah, I always
0: wondered too. So when the last show I went to was an AEW show, it was here at universal and it was called their AEW dark. And basically it's their YouTube show and they were getting the younger wrestlers that don't really have a name for themselves yet to kind of fight some of the older ones, the more well-known ones mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of see who their next talent is. Um, and that was, they even said at the beginning, they said, thanks for like coming out to our show. Cause it, it does help get our, our wrestlers, get their reps in and stuff too. So it was kind of like almost additional reps, for their their yeah. current um people, you know. So cool. It was cool. Yeah. And nowadays though, especially in the WWE, it's heavily toned down from what it used to be in the 2000s, you know, in the 1990s. Yeah. Back in the day, they were taking like full steel chairs to the face, you know. Yeah, Just insane. Crazy. Have you ever heard of the term
1: blading? No. Okay, I you, there.
0: No, I'm newbie. I well, it wasn't until I was at an AEW show and they still do this and I, I saw it happen and I what thought do do? I was bleeding and he wasn't. <gasps> well, he was. So they basically they take a literal razor blade and blade their foreheads to make it look like they've actually been like kicked hard enough or hit hard enough in the face. To cause blood,
1: while they're okay, I have to ask these questions. While they're wrestling, yeah. they have razor blades, or they razor yes. blade before? Oh my god, they have razor. Where did they? Where do I they don't know. These? Where did the razor know. blades go? But
0: it's like a common practice in the wrestling world. Wow. It's so crazy to me. And so I wanted to read the preface of. I read this book. It's called Ring of Hell. Mm. Um, and for, for this case, like in particular, yeah, and I wanted to crime library in your, in your living room here. No, I'm starting to like give the books away on TikTok. So if you are interested, I'm probably not going to give this one away. This was. About, I think this is one of the most expensive books I've ever bought. It was fifty seven dollars online, and it's over a hundred dollars on like eBay and shit. So, like, also this on one's to very that. interested. So, yeah, this one's mine. But, um, limb from limb from our last one that'll be on my. You're like, problems. I'll sign that one. I'll <laughs> send that one away. <laughs> so, the preface for this book it says, "It's a and this is a quote from Bobby the Brain Heenan from two thousand five. It's a business you can't explain to anyone. They have to be in it." If you try to tell somebody what the business is like, they'll just never understand. Just think if I said to you that you were going to be a wrestler. Well, what do I have to do? You would say. You'll have to go where I tell you to go. Well, will I have any days off? No. Will I make a lot of money? Probably not. And we'll want you to take these sharp pieces of razor and stick it in your face whenever we tell you to. And you're going to have to, do, to go out to the people and incite riots. Will I get any hospitalization payments? None at all. None at all. Will I get a car to drive? No. You'll have to drive your own car and pay for your own gas. What about hotel rooms? No. We'll stick nine of you in a room. I don't care. Give me this job. I want to do this job. Who would want that?
1: Um,
0: I, Not me. Not me. <laughs> um, literally, though, every boy I've read that preface to, I read it to Charles and my brother, and they're like, me, me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it is like very I, I you can't say glamorous after that description um but i know and especially in that time you like i said like hulkamania like you mm-hmm. looked up to you're like whoa that was so crazy mm-hmm. um yeah it's like glamorized for minus sure minus the razors yeah what
0: i can believe according to usa today professional wrestlers are 20 times more likely to die before the age of 45 than professional football players
1: it's very physical and very mentally
0: physical. Yeah,
1: before the age of 45.
0: Why? So it's like the sheer, what they put their bodies through and not to mention, especially in the 80s and 90s, they were doing all the drugs, steroids, all of that fun stuff. My God, though. So this brings me to a second point. Second thing that people usually think about when it comes to wrestling is steroids. There is no possible... Spray tans. (laughs) And
1: spray tans. (laughs) Okay.
0: Steroids. There's no possible way for like anyone to naturally get to the size that these men were getting to in the eighties and nineties. No, they're like
1: extreme forms of a human body. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'd find out through doing research on this steroids were actually widely accepted in the industry during the eighties and nineties and like considered a necessary evil in order to make it into what was then known. Well, professional wrestling as a whole, but what was then known as the WWF, which is now the WWE. Okay. Until Chris Benoit happened. Mm. So, of course, me being me, the third thing I personally think of in wrestling is Chris Benoit because I have an interest in true crime. Chris was known in the WWE as the Canadian Crippler. This was from his signature finishing move, the Crossface Crippler. Will you demonstrate? (laughs) No, I will not. (laughs) It was also given to him, this Crippler dynamic was given to him after he'd accidentally broke um, someone's neck in the ring. Oh, like an accident! And he felt so <sighs> horrible about it. And then he's given was the guy actually name. crippled Um, I don't believe he was crippled. It was like a fractured neck that yeah. he ended up being treated for. And then the guy actually won the fight, still
1: with a freaking broken neck. Oh my god!
0: No. I know.
1: I know. <sighs> Okay. What did this move? What happened? Just cause I'm wondering, I'm like envisioning a lot of like jumping off ropes and things. Yeah. So if if
0: you're talking about, I think it was, I want to get this wrestler's name, right? Hold on. I do have it written down. It's just in another set of my notes. This, 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 this case took me the longest out of every case that we've ever looked at because I wanted to get, things correct i'm not i i am not a wrestling fangirl i will not have everything correct on this so make sure you correct me in the comments that's totally fine but it, this case probably took me the most time because i didn't want to just get on here and start talking out of my ass um and you can see mm. the video online it is on youtube i watched it and he like sends him over um the ring and he hits his head on like the bottom part of the um the ring itself Ooh. and then falls off to the side and you can tell he is like hurt but then, like, actually hurt. Yeah, he gets back in the ring and and finishes the match.
1: Crazy. Um, so this may seem like a silly question to all mm-hmm. wrestling fans, but is the match predetermined? Yes, okay.
0: it's usually scripted out. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, there was times in like the or in like the nineties and early two thousands where they started to do. It may have been just the early two thousands. They started to do like a money match. I believe it was called. I'm maybe wrong on that, but they've got like I'm not looking at my notes at all right now. I didn't write this down. I was literally like watching um their ruthless aggression docuseries and, and saw this. But it's like a um the world championship would be written in a um like who would be predetermined, like mm-hmm. the contract would be written and they would hold it up over and it would be like a ladder match. So you'd have to like climb the ladder to get, but that was also kind of predetermined as to who was
1: gonna win that match to get the oh. it, it
0: was very interesting. The whole thing is.
1: It's fun. I, I feel say. like anytime you're mm. jumping off ropes and using razor blades, like they're, like anything can happen. So mm. even though it's predetermined and like fake, it's it's actually like pretty insane. Yeah. They,
0: they know every time they go into the ring, like something something really bad can happen. They are mm-hmm. using their bodies full force. Um, I would say they are athletes. Like I, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, but yes, Chris at the time was arguably one of the best wrestlers to ever enter the wrestling ring in 2004 during wrestlemania which is wwe's equivalent to the super bowl okay <laughs> chris would win the world heavyweight championship but if you're not familiar with his wrestling career you may still know his name because on monday june 25th 2007 chris his wife nancy and their seven-year-old son daniel would be found dead in their family home in fayetteville georgia The night Chris had that night, Chris had actually been scheduled to appear on WWE Raw in Corpus Christi, Texas. In lieu of Chris and his family's untimely demise, the WWE not only canceled the show, but then decided instead to host a three hour tribute to Chris and his life. It would be the last time that the company as a whole would acknowledge Chris Benoit. As just 40 minutes before the live broadcast ended, it was released to the public that the Benoit family deaths were being investigated as a murder-suicide. It would be discovered that over a three-day period, Chris had murdered his wife, Nancy, then their son, Daniel, and finally himself.
1: Mm.
0: When I tell you the WWE ran to put that fire out that they started with that tribute to Chris. Oh, yeah. And the strangest apology from Vince McMahon. Actually, I want you to like listen to it. Mm -hmm. Um, You probably can't get it to play on here, but we'll put it in the description if we can't. And you guys go and listen to it right now.
1: That's an interesting comment.
0: The whole thing's interesting. They played that literally the next day before one of their
1: shows. Um, And it was like the company taking a complete step back. Oh, like a 180. They're like, this was a tribute to Chris Benoit. And now we are not mentioning
0: his name. Yeah, we're done. And they they were done. And what, we'll get into how done they were with Chris. You can't even find him on their website. Um, he's been wiped clean from WWE history. And yet his footprint on the company as a whole is still very much visible. So how did we get here? How could a man who was considered to be an amazing father, husband, who friends and family would later say, if you lined him up in a room with every other man you know in your life, you would have never picked him out of the crowd as someone Hmm. that would have murdered their family. So what happened? And I found that depending on where you looked and where you got your story from, that answer could be quite different. So... Chris's wife, Nancy, was born Nancy Tofaloni in Boston, Massachusetts, but graduated from DeLand High School. That's actually here, just like down the road from me here in Orlando. Really? Um, Mm -hmm. Nancy. Sorry? I said, oh, really? I don't thought you said who. I was like, Nancy. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) not lost yet. Come on. (laughs) She had just graduated from high school and was newly married to her first husband, Jim Doss. She had no interest in wrestling at all. And was actually working at State Farm at the time and modeling on the side for some extra oh, cash. Yeah. yeah, when she started attending frequent wrestling shows with her first husband, she was- regrets
1: that. you know he's like shoot i wasn't taking you here to find a new husband (laughs) she got totally nabbed up too um spotted her at one
0: of these wrestling shows and they were like wow we really want to feature you on the cover of our magazine wrestling all-stars magazine and she would be featured on the cover of the june 1984 edition oh my god cool that's amazing Uh, nancy was freaking awesome her initial name was fallen angel um Fallen Angel would join prof- professional wrestler Kevin Sullivan as part of his Satanic entourage. Mm-hmm. So Kevin's character was basically a s- Satanist. That was like their whole stick, or a stick, mm-hmm. and that was like the thing, right? Um. So Nancy played this character so well that people would actually come up to her when she was doing normal things like pumping gas and try to pray for her soul. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "I'm just pumping gas. It's gonna be okay." She said she really loved these fan interactions, though, because she said she knew she was doing her character correctly if they really were afraid for her soul. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it, too. So she started traveling an awful lot with Kevin to other wrestling territories. So we're still in the eighties. So McMahon hadn't bought all the territories yet wrestling territories. It used to be more of a local thing. You had a lot of mom and pop shops all around North America and honestly overseas as well in Japan. Wrestling is really big um, where you would go to, it would be like your local wrestling show. That's kind of a thing of the past now because literally Vince McMahon bought everything. We'll get into that, but yeah. Um, Kevin and Nancy would be married less than a year after their initial meeting.
1: Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's really crazy. Kevin worked fast. (laughs) Yeah, she was like, whoops, took you to a show, and then she's married like a year later. He locked that down.
0: (laughs) So Kevin moved up the ranks of wrestling really soon, and he soon joined Ted Turner's WCW, which was World Championship Wrestling. Nancy went along with him, where they thought of a fun new way to introduce her character to a televised audience. Her sister, Sandra, would later take credit for this idea on Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho. Yeah, saying that um, she came up with the idea for Nancy to pose in the crowd as a nerdy fangirl of Rick Steiner named Robin Green. For weeks, Robin Green sat in the audience cheering for Rick. She had these big glasses on. She was like super like nerdy looking, (laughs) right? And this would be until Rick would take her out on a date and then transformed her from this nerdy super fangirl to a sultry siren. Shortly after that, her iconic character named Woman would appear in the ring. (laughs) She just picked the name Woman. I love it. It's so iconic. She was like, I'm Woman done (laughs) and she aligned herself with her then husband kevin sullivan nancy revitalized wrestling for women she was a sex symbol in her time but was able to parlay that into becoming a valet which is a wrestling manager um so she started managing all these wrestlers yeah she was really cool that's Um, cool wait can i have a pic is there a picture yeah yeah she um let me send you her with kevin because it's like honestly
1: hilarious Oh, my. Yes. Mm -hmm. Woman. Woman. Yeah. Hear her. So 80s. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) It's a great time. (laughs) So
0: cool. So I won't go into their whole history, politics, scripts, or the time that Nancy and Kevin started switching from WCW to ECW to back to WCW. It's just like a lot of acronyms and unnecessary. (laughs) Like, if you want to know more, like, we'll put some sources in the description. Nancy was an amazing woman. Um, But soon in their return to WCW, woman was now the manager of Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. No
1: way. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And
0: one of those horsemen would be her future husband, Chris Benoit. It would later become the joke of the industry that Kevin Sullivan had booked and scripted his own divorce.
1: I was going to say, he kind (laughs) of walked into that one. It's bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He was a writer for WCW at the time and had came up with a storyline featuring a feud between himself and Chris, where a woman or Nancy, his wife, would leave Kevin for Chris. Um, Yeah, he like willed that into fruition, (laughs) especially (laughs) since Kevin was an old school wrestler. So he really tried to sell his scripts. He wanted his fans to believe that this was real. And Chris was the same way. He was very disciplined, one of the most disciplined wrestlers of all time. So for the duration of this storyline, Kevin Sullivan didn't appear publicly with his wife she went chris
1: yes (laughs) yes
0: he took her out on dates they went everywhere they went to japan together like oh
1: they're just rehearsing (laughs) that's That's um, all
0: yeah and soon she fell in love with the canadian crippler oh yeah that'll do it those trips fake dates love it that's crazy that's wild yeah, I, when I read that, I was like, shut up. Shut the front door. Like,
1: <laughs> I know. Truth is stranger than fiction. That's, That's real. you will. Mm-hmm. So Chris
0: Benoit was born May 21st, 1967 in Montreal, Canada. He grew up with a knowledge of pro wrestling because his family would soon move from Quebec to Calgary, Alberta, where there was like a huge wrestling scene. He did have tapes, though, of legends like Andre the Giant and such that he would watch a lot but he became fascinated with wrestling as a preteen after going with his father to see Stampede Wrestling. Now, this was What's a mom. That? Yeah. What is that? It's a mom and pop wrestling company that traveled all of Canada, but it was based out of Calgary, Alberta, putting shows on. Right. OK. So this wrestling company was actually run by legendary Stu Hart, Canadian professional wrestler, booker, promoter, trainer. His name may sound familiar to you, even if you're not involved in the wrestling like community. He trained many well-known wrestlers in the dungeon, which was his basement.
1: Where <laughs> went any going over to his house? Like, oh, oh, to the dungeon. So yeah. he'd actually have guests
0: over that weren't even like Stu was pretty sadistic, to be honest. And if you read about the dungeon, there was a lot of controversial methods he would use to Ooh. train his wrestlers, even spitting in their eyes. He was very sadistic, and any cry of pain was met with "Be a man." And his yeah. favorite pastime was when he had people over at his house being like, I'll take you down the dungeon. I'll pin you. I don't know. Have you ever watched rest of development? No, there. I imagine Stu Hart as if you've ever watched it, there's an episode where the, this uncle comes back into town and he used to be like a wrestler and he's like, I'll pin you. And he's saying it to everyone. And I'm like, I feel like that was stupid. He's like, I'll get you. He's like this old man now. And like, like yeah. no, stop.
1: We're not stop. going down to the dungeon. Come on. No. Eat so, your dinner.
0: Hmm. So Chris would eventually train in the dungeon, but his training would be mostly handled by Stu's son at that point in time when he got down there, Bruce. But it was one wrestler in particular that had caught Chris's eye the day that he went to see Stampede Wrestling with his father, the Dynamite Kid. Thomas Billington was a British wrestler best known for his signature move, the diving headbutt, where he would launch himself at his opponent's head first a good idea <laughs> chris became fascinated with billington because thomas was very small for a wrestler and chris was a really small kid very small in stature so he automatically became obsessed with this guy right transfixed by him he then did everything in his power to emulate him mannerisms hair You name it, you got it, whatever he could do, right? Which is so wild to so many people because Billington's character of the dynamite kid was one of the most ruthless characters in the business. He was known as a villain in all of the script rights, and he would take this role extremely far. Mm. So even when his opponents would blade themselves in the head, like we talked about earlier, sometimes he'd be known to kick them in the face to drive the blade in further. Yeah. (gasps)
1: No. Yeah,
0: and he even in real life, um, he was very sadistic. Later, he would gladly tell the public that he'd once threatened his wife with a shotgun. Oh, geez. And that same wife would later say that she'd actually considered killing her kids and herself in order to get herself and them away from her husband. Wow. She didn't see any other point? And luckily, they didn't. That didn't. It didn't come to that. But right just shows you I pushed her that
1: far to think. Yeah. those thoughts, Yeah.
0: And it gives you an idea of who Chris was idolizing at this mm-hmm. one time. Right. Like that, that was weird to me. I was like, wow, that man wasn't great to his family. So before this fascination with wrestling, Chris had been a super quiet bookworm kind of kid. Now he was obsessed and entering a world that was polar opposite to that. He soon asked his father for his first weight set. This is something that his father, Michael says that he regrets to this day, buying Chris. Mm -hmm. but so far this was a healthy habit Chris was working out finally talking (laughs) even though everything he had to say was about wrestling (laughs) he was coming out of his shell though more and arriving early to wrestling matches trying to help set up the ring clean up do anything he could to place himself in the way of his hero which he would not only eventually meet but Thomas Billington would become his mentor throughout his professional career yeah that's crazy it is crazy Things would soon turn dark for Chris though. During that time, the effects of steroid use weren't really well known. Um, And they were seen as a necessity in becoming Mm -hmm. a professional wrestler, especially for someone of Chris's size. Now, as a teen, he never would have made it or been taken seriously in the industry without them because of his size. Chris first started these in pill form, but then soon switched to the needle. But he did this all before he was done growing. Oh, that messes with you. Yeah. So nowadays we know that steroids can actually diminish your, your skeletal size. Yeah. Meaning we'll never know for sure if Chris could have actually been become a um, professional wrestler naturally, like huh, he might've just had to wait a couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. that's like super sad. Chris began his professional wrestling career at the age of 18 in a rare televised event in Calgary. Now, he didn't win, but this first match cemented that he had made a name for himself. He soon had a clear rivalry between himself and Stu Hart's own children. This was just due to Chris's sheer talent in the (laughs) ring. And Chris soon found himself being recruited by the New Japan Pro Wrestling, which was NJPW, it's also known as. This was where his idol, the Dynamite Kid, had actually begun his career. So he's almost following. Hmm. Yeah, in his footsteps. Mm Mm-hmm. And Chris would be get, continue his training there. Now, NJPW wasn't the WWE. This was very real fighting, even if the matches were fixed. Mm. But this is where Chris would further his training that he'd received from Stu Hart on quote-unquote selling it. So, like, selling those moves to make them look real mm-hmm. if they weren't real. Um this company, though, it's been heavily rumored that the Yakuza is involved in them, which is a crime Oh, the crime uh, mm-hmm. Like the mafia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This would also be where Chris would meet his best friend, Eddie Guerrero. Their friendship began after a match in 1993 where Benoit kicked Guerrero so hard in the head that he knocked him out cold. <laughs> Dude, if you kicked me in the head,
1: we're not going to be friends. It's
0: such a man thing. We're like, oh, nice kick. You want to be besties? (laughs) Knocked him straight out cold and then (laughs) friends for life.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, don't come at me like that. Uh
0: later, Chris Jericho would say that the two of them were almost cut from the same cloth. You know, Um, they were very disciplined men when it came to their careers. Um, On their days off, they would get up at like 7am to go to the gym. And Chris was like, guys, we've got all day. Like, (laughs) Like, I don't know why we're getting up like this early. It's ridiculous. And Jericho would also say they'd be, like, in the back of the bus going to their next wrestling gig, and he'd see them, like, studying the ingredients of something before putting it in their mouth, and he's like, just eat it. Like, I don't (laughs) don't know what's wrong with you
1: guys. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: But um, after their stint over in Japan, Chris and Eddie would actually soon be reunited stateside with WCW, and that's where Chris would meet Nancy. So, Kevin Sullivan had already planned his retirement from wrestling through a match with Chris before his wife had left him. Wait, say that one more time. Who's retiring? So Kevin Sullivan, Nancy's yes. second wife or second wife, second husband. <laughs> he had planned his retirement match with Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Um, oh. Right, is this and where they one... like
1: hand her off? I mean, like he's like, I'm retiring. <laughs> you take the torch. That's <laughs> it was crazy. before no.
0: Nancy like left him. That he okay? That. And Nancy's whole thing was like to leading up to him like yeah, but yeah. This was so um, Kevin could fo- focus more on the booking aspect of like uh, wrestling as a whole. Yeah. So he was kind of taking
1: those razor blades and yeah. He's don't blame him.
0: Yeah. Yep. So Sandra Tofeloni, which is Nancy's sister, wasn't prepared for what would happen at that retirement match. She had no idea that her sister was having an affair with Chris. But by this time, Kevin knew. She oh. was shocked when she saw that Kevin sort of lost his balance at one point after a hit from Chris. And she realized that this wasn't your average scripted fight. That oh, were, shit. This is really, really
1: happening. Scary. Yeah.
0: When <laughs> <laughs> she went backstage after the match. They were still fighting when Kevin ordered Sandra to go with him. And Chris oh. said, no, your sister wants you to come with me.
1: Now, keep in mind, Sandra doesn't know who Chris is. She's never met him. No, this is, she's like, um, this is news to me. I was just watching this. Yeah. I didn't know things were like crazy for real. We're Mm -hmm. off script. Are we still going with the script?
0: Yeah. (laughs) But she soon left with Chris, and according to the show The Dark Side of the Ring, which I highly recommend anyone to watch if they want to know more about what goes on behind the scenes of wrestling, Um, and you can get it on Amazon Prime, that was where I watched it. Um, It's not free, you do have to rent it, but yeah. Um, This was when Nancy alleged to her sister that Kevin had actually become physically violent with her throughout their marriage, so that it was an abusive marriage. Now, Kevin has denied all of these allegations, which I think is important to note. Yep. Chris had been married before he ended up eventually marrying Nancy and he had two children um, before that in his prior marriage, which according to Sandra, her sister welcomed with open arms. She loved Chris's kids. Um, She was a very loving stepmom and very involved. She loved having David and Megan in for all family holidays that she could possibly have them in for. In 1997, woman made her final appearance in the ring on Monday Nitro. The following week, Chris came out without his wife by his side. Nancy had been managing Chris for a little over half a year. There was no reason given as to why she left, and she would never be mentioned by the WCW again.
1: Really? Yeah. I think that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. In 1999,
0: the couple became pregnant with their first child together, Nancy's first and his Mm -hmm. third, um, Daniel they were so excited for Daniel and Sandra would say, especially Nancy's family, because Sandra has been very open. She can't have children. So, oh,
1: so I was like a surprise.
0: Yeah. And Nancy and Sandra are their parents, only children. So this was almost like um, the only chance to have kid, like in a way, because Sandra can't have kids. Nancy can, you know, like it's their yeah. only grandchild. grandchild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sandra, after Daniel was born, spent a lot of time at the Benoit family home. Since she couldn't have kids of her own, Chris and Nancy had made it a point of having her involved in their son's life as much as possible. Oh, what a cool aunt. So, nice. so, cool. Yeah. so if there was anyone I trust with information going on as to what was going on in the Benoit household leading up to June of 2007, it would be that woman because she mm-hmm. would know. I would heavily suggest listening to her interview with Chris Jericho on Talk is Jericho just to shed more light on the subject. It was it was eye-opening. I was shocked at how she doesn't talk disparagingly about Chris really. And that was yeah, amazing to me cuz he murdered her sister. So yeah. it was um and she talked about a lot of wonderful family memories. So if you want to know more about good memories of the Benoit family, I'd suggest, you know, heading over there. Um, But by that time, Chris had made the move um, to what was known as WWF, which would later become the WWE after a lawsuit from the World
1: Wildlife Fund. (laughs) They're like, get off our acronym. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's our acronym, not yours. (laughs) Oh, my. That's so funny to me. I had heard that rumor, but I didn't know it was like 100% true. And I like Googled it and I laughed so hard. I was like, oh, (laughs)
1: wrong episode. You're like, do we want to donate to the Tigers? You're like, like, this is wrestlers acronym. (laughs) After I was like, go to the
0: WWF. (laughs) Oh, God. So moving over to WWF from WCW. It's a lot of acronyms. I'm so sorry. What with Chris was Perry Saturn. Dean Malenko, I I pronounce his name wrong every time. Don't hate me. And Chris's close friend, Eddie Guerrero. When they jumped ship um, from WCW in 2000, shortly after that company would actually be bought by WWE, Vince McMahon. So So they jumped ship, but then it got bought. But then it got bought. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now, this group of four wrestlers would actually be called the Radicals. Benoit would also join WWF during one of its most insane eras, called the Attitude Era, and this actually headed into their early 2000s era, which was called Ruthless Aggression. There is a docu series out about the Ruthless Aggression era that is on Peacock for WWE. It is very interesting to look at. However, they tend to blame. So after Ruthless Aggression. In 2008, they started to go into what they call the PG era. Oh, interesting timing because yeah. Chris and family died in 2007.
1: They're like, we got to dial this back a little bit, go yeah. underground a little bit. But what's PG very
0: interesting is the docu series not only never mentions Chris, Chris is completely cut out from it. You'll see like, I know he's at the end of this clip, but they cut it right before they scan over to him. Yeah. Like, it's, I watched so many episodes and I was like, that's a f- fucking Chris, but you you skipped it. And I'm like, li- literally, and they're sitting there trying to sell it. They're like, the reason we moved over to PG is because we just knew it was the demand at the time and we shouldn't be dealing as, excre- as, as like He's extreme. He's like, why
1: mm-hmm.
0: is And it's like, no, no, no. You left the extreme and the violence because of Chris. Like, let's just be fucking honest. Because of the violence. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy to me. So. And at the time, too, like when you think back to the 2000s and 1990s of that wrestling period, and I did grow up for a period of my life watching wrestling, literally people would tune in to see what the fuck they were going to do next because their show was so insane, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and the difference nowadays is wild because I've been to WWE shows. Now, even the crowd is not as crazy as it once used to be. It's interesting to see the evolution over time. So no matter how they spin it or how they ignore Chris's existence and in their self-made docuseries, like it changed because of Chris. I don't
1: care what they say (laughs) anyway. Well, obviously it changed because they like literally they're like he who we don't mention. mention Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
0: Totally over him. Yeah. When he was one of the best wrestlers of that time. Uh huh. Not that I don't think, like, obviously, I'm not glorifying Chris in any way. I'm just saying, like, it's weird that they just skip over the fact that the reason. It's
1: more bizarre that they don't mention him. Mm -hmm. So,
0: March 14th, 2004, Chris would win the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 20. By forcing Triple H to tap out, after using his signature move, the Crossface Crippler.
1: (laughs) It was, so I was waiting for like you to throw in like a diving headbutt, <laughs> <Like, laughs>
0: slamming him with his head. <laughs> oh man! All right. Oh god! I watch them and I'm always amazed at like what they do with their bodies. I'm like,
1: that like makes me feel like tense just thinking about getting a headbutt. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. And it's funny to think too because I think of like
1: The Rock and
0: like all of- and John Cena. You don't really think of them as wrestlers anymore.
1: No, I. It literally took me forever to re- like realize that John Cena was a wrestler. I'm like, what's he famous for? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Not like hosting whatever show. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm like, know. oh yeah, that's right. I know. He's not an actor. That well, kind of, but yeah, yeah. Wrestler first. Wrestler. So weird. <laughs> so this would be the
0: first time that a heavyweight championship would be won by submission. Chris celebrated by inviting his friend Eddie Guerrero into the ring with him to but celebrate. A little- yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They're like, you can see there's photos online of them, like, holding. It's like an Adrian moment, you know? What yeah. Adrian. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I know. I just watched that for the first time. Isn't that Did you? Yeah. Oh, my. For the first time? Rocky? <laughs> Dude, I know. Late to the game.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tell you what. A little over a year later, though, on November 13th, 2005, Eddie Guerrero would be found unresponsive in his hotel room in Minneapolis by his nephew, Chavo. Oh, no. Still be holding his toothbrush in his hand. Was it a drug overdose? So he was only 38 at the time that he died and he died of heart failure. Spirit? So, when, yeah. So when they actually the medical examiner looked at him, the, they, he did have an underlying undisclosed, undisclosed heart disease at the time of his death that hadn't been diagnosed or anything, mm-hmm. but this was caused by long-term drug, alcohol, and steroid um, use. So, yes. Yeah. oh, mm-hmm. And 38. And Chris was devastated. It's been said that he was not the same after this death. And Chris had actually been going through a lot of deaths before this, and he'd actually reportedly, according to Chris Jericho, who we've talked about a lot, mm-hmm. drinking his wine, mm-hmm. He said that before Eddie died, after so many deaths, because you got to think of it like we talked about the professional wrestlers dying before forty-five. You know, twenty times more likely than the football players. Yeah, we're reaching our forties now. And he said Chris would call him one day, just sobbing and saying, "I I can't take another death. Like, I I can't take it." And then his best friend died.
1: Oh. So yeah, he took it really hard then I'm sure. Really hard.
0: He started to become paranoid. He started crying constantly. Eddie's wife would often find him in Eddie's bed sobbing into the bed sheets like on Eddie's side of the bed in the bedroom. Mm, it's so sad. It's yeah. It's so sad. Um and it, he wasn't getting better. Things were getting worse. Like he wasn't it over time things weren't you know, getting better. So, Sandra had actually um, gone to grief counseling after losing someone, his sister-in-law, right? Mm -hmm. And the grief counselor had said, sometimes it's good to keep a journal, start writing letters, you know, to the person that has passed as if they're still there, right? Mm -hmm. So, she suggests this to Nancy when Nancy's like, I don't know what to do with Chris. Like, I, I really am at the end of my rope. Like, I don't know what to do, right? Yeah. So she goes out, she buys like three journals for him to pick from uh, and, and is like, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but this Sandra said, this helps. Right. So if you want to take a look at it, you know, and see if you want to do that. So he starts writing immediately, starts writing to oh. Eddie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So every day it's just like normal things he would like tell Eddie about, you know, Yeah. Um, to help him. um Cope, a neighbor and close friend who was also a wrestler, went by the wrestler named Johnny Grunge, was doing his best just to like come over often, you know, help Chris like along the way. But on February 16th, Johnny would also die suddenly at 39 years
1: old. Oh, my. Yeah, they're not even making it to 40. That's horrible. No. So this death was caused Ooh. by a coronary artery
0: blockage. Now, at the time of his death, he had been visiting a friend when he suddenly couldn't breathe and then died on the way to the hospital. He had ingested soma pills that day, and soma pills are muscle relaxers, which were prescribed to him by a doctor named Phil Aston. Now, this was Chris Benoit's same doctor, and this doctor would actually be sentenced to 10 years in prison after Chris's death for illegally distributing prescription
1: drugs. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's not good. Their bodies have already been through so much. And then you throw this like extra insane insanity on top of that. Mm
0: -hmm. One of Nancy's friends, Sherry Martell, would die just a couple of weeks before she would of an overdose as well. And she was just 49 years old. So, wow,
1: everyone's just dropping like flies at this point. That's a lot, even, yeah. I mean, and plus, he's got all this other pressure of being like a public facing person. Mm-hmm. And just days before his
0: own death, like Chris's own death, his old tag partner, Biff Wellington, would be found dead of a heart attack, which was, yeah, you guessed it, most likely due because of steroids. Yeah, oh, that's so hard. So, all these young wrestlers dying very suddenly, way too young. Nancy's sister would say over the span of several years that there wasn't a moment that the Benoit household wasn't in a state of constant bereavement, either on Nancy, Chris's side, or both of them, because they have mutual, tons of mutual friends Mm -hmm. wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy when you think of it. So, yeah, they went through a lot. A lot. At this point, too, Chris is getting insanely stressed out over his dream job. At the time, there was three main companies in the United States that if you wanted to be a pro wrestler at, you wanted to get into these companies. It was WWF, WCW, and ECW. But WCW and ECW would soon be bought by WWF or WWE's Vince McMahon. He owned owned everything. So it's a monopoly now. Yes. Very stressful for everyone's career at this point because you can't risk being canned. Like you're done. Yeah. you fucked up, you fucked. Like you're done, right? Yeah. So, and it's insanely easy at that point to be done because Vince McMahon is crazy. Like there was one wrestler that said that the crazy character that you see on TV is actually what Vince has become. Like he is now this evil, crazy, scuzzy person. And I wanted to read, there's like a little excerpt from this wonderful book. That we were at.
1: Oh, <laughs> is he still around today?
0: Yes, he's still on wow.
1: WWE. Now,
0: he doesn't really play his character anymore. He doesn't like come into the ring. He actually mm-hmm. blew out both of his knees at one point when he's not was- as sexy to like
1: wheel him in. No, <laughs> shoot, <laughs> sorry. I'm sure that's like offensive. No, he's just he's never
0: been sexy. He's disgusting. So, Michael Road Warrior Hawk, another wrestler, would say this personally. The most evil man in the world that I've ever met in my 42 years is Vince McMahon. He is sheer, pure evil. I hope, and I say this and you can document it, that I outlive him in my life. Because if I do, I'm going to drink a bunch of Schiltz malt liquor, take a flight to Connecticut, and do some horrendous things. That's where WWE's headquarters is. (laughs) Oh, Okay. Now, unfortunately, Michael would not live. Um, he died of a steroid-induced heart attack at the age of 46 in 2003. Jeez. So what would you say died. the stat was? Um, it, they're 20 times more likely to die than a pro-
1: professional football player by the age of 45. Yeah. So they're all right around 45. They're not making it past 50.
0: No. No, I think there was one um, it was something I listened to where one of the wrestlers had told his wife something about his like life insurance policy. And he said, well, we both know I'm not going to make it till 60. Like he was just like, yeah,
1: that's sad.
0: It's very sad. So we have to keep in mind, though, that this is the same Vince McMahon who in 1999, when one of his pro wrestlers, Owen Hart, who was one of Stu Hart's kids. We talked about Stu Hart from the mm-hmm. Stu Hart wrestling family. He fell and he died on live television.
1: And that's when we used to like air stuff actually live.
0: Yeah, so I guess the camera had actually turned um away at that point, so you can't. The, it, he didn't catch that. Yeah, good on film. Um, but he died in the middle of this match. So after paramedics worked on him trying to get him back, and they found out he was not coming back, they just rolled him out of the ring, and the show went on. Oh my God, that's insane! The nice match went on on the stage, and literally, this is what Vince said knowing owen as a performer he was it is my belief that he would have wanted the show to go on i didn't know if this was the right decision i just guessed it's what owen would have wanted well owen's wife says he fucking guessed wrong and that's bullshit and she could have yeah. 100% told him that her husband would not have wanted the show to go on
1: that's no a- that's insane like someone literally just lost their life <laughs> the show is over like the we have gone. bigger shit to deal with
0: and then you could say they did it again when Chris died because Chris's entire family dies and you air a tribute to him for three hours literally the day that the bodies are found, not even enough time to find out that he killed his family. You're mm-hmm. just doing it for a buck. Like why? Every other normal network would have not ran the show. No. They were like, no, not now. This is horrible. But Vince McMahon's got to make his buck. Yuck. So, and even to this day, Vince McMahon lets people go just on a whim. Like, we went to go see a WWE tape- taping, and Tony Storm was there. She's uh, gorgeous. She, you know, does wrestling. We saw her match, right? It was the last match she would ever do um, because he let her go, like, the next day. Yeah. There's a Yeah, and there's literally he doesn't have to give a reason. So one day you're making three hundred thousand dollars a month, and then the next day you got shit all. Like that's it's so unfair. Like it's
1: crazy to me. So the that's strange that that, there's he's still got like a monopoly over this thing.
0: It is like the stress of that much must just weigh on you because you get that much money, of course, you up your lifestyle, but what happens if you know?
1: Yeah, it's not like Hollywood where you might go get another job. Like, this is it. No, this is it. Yeah, you You just put it on your resume. And like, that's what else do you do with that?
0: And not only that, but you don't get a break with wrestling. Okay, so you work a minimum of 300 days a year. There's no time off. No time for holidays, personal time, or injury. And this is a job, obviously, with heavy injuries. So many wrestlers, including Chris, would use uppers and downers just to function in their daily lives but then also they're they've got to use you know muscle relaxants anything for pain management because they're not going to take some time off like unless it's something yeah. extremely serious because there's already a young person you know waiting in the wing that can do exactly what you do right it's, it's a very competitive industry so chris had actually already taken a year off in 2001 for a fractured neck he fractured he yeah
1: a fractured
0: neck fractured neck, neck. and so Chris was already just at the age of 40 feeling his career slip out of his fingers. Right. And Nancy had actually already begun to plan for his retirement from the WWE. So she had begun plans of a Chris Benoit wrestling Academy. Um, this would be a wrestling tool, a school that he would teach at in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Sandra, her sister would say she still has hundreds of shirts from this Academy with Chris's diving in like a headbutt. That she's Whoa. just sitting on because, like, I mean, what do you do with them? Like, I don't know if I'd have the heart no. to get rid of them that Sandra had or that Nancy had made, you know. Well, you wouldn't want them, like, out line. floating around. You know, that's true, too. Yeah. People selling them for God knows Whoa. what. <sighs> but at that point in time, Chris was not ready to let go of his wrestling career. And he was very afraid for what the future held for him. So, I had a feeling when I started this script, and this is one of the longest scripts I've written on this show, that this was going to be a two-parter, at least. Because this and Shanda share, it, there's just so much information in there's the back. There's a lot, yeah. That you don't know unless you're in the wrestling community. But even then, like, my friend Charles, who's, like, super into WWE, he was like, you know more about Chris Benoit <laughs> now than I do. Because <laughs> the personal life, like, a lot of people yeah. don't know. All what the background is- drama. Yeah, so... Um, In the next episode, which will be dropped tomorrow, I'm so sorry to kind of break this up on you, Um, but we're going to be talking about how the marriage disintegrated, where things ended up, and then also the mental problems that Chris ended up being known to have, what kind of factored Mm -hmm. into the murders, and kind of where we go from here. Um, so I hate to kind of like end things right now, but I know already we've gone way too long. Um, but I felt like the background was necessary because I feel like a lot of people, especially that watch this podcast, because hundred percent of you all are women and <laughs> I'm not saying anything about my own demographic, but I feel like a lot of us don't watch wrestling. So a lot of us don't know all of this background
1: information. No, so
0: I wanted to give it because I feel like it's so important and it's so important
1: to know who Nancy was. Yeah, it shows a lot more light on who they were as people, like outside mm -hmm. of the ring.
0: Yeah, and so many people don't mention Nancy. It's always the Chris Benoit story and why he did it because, yes, we will find out he had obviously traumatic brain injuries from, you know, his wrestling career. And yes, that's a factor in it, but it's not the full story And Nancy's wrestling career should be recognized and she should be recognized for everything she was as a mother and a wife and, you know, everything. Yeah. In her own right. Right. Yeah. So we will come back tomorrow so make sure you're back here um with the end of the chris benoit story and make sure you've watched this episode like god <laughs> so i we're back we're late in the game but like part one you know part two i didn't know for sure if it'd be a part one but we've been talking like an hour now so we, gotta, it. Yeah, we got it worth it here um but yeah we'll see you guys tomorrow yeah
1: cheers the refill cheers <laughs> refill. <laughs> Huda Media Production. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment.